I'm going to love on you all today by giving you some tough love. And I'm aiming today to ruffle your feathers. And I'm aiming today to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable. So who wants that kind of love? <laughs> You're not so excited now, are you? But I'm aiming today to make you uncomfortable because I want you to grow. <laughs> so I'm going to love on you with some tough love because I want us to grow. Because I want us all to start to begin to take ownership and responsibility for your growth or lack of growth in God. Because if you're not growing, I want you to take responsibility for that. It's not the worship team, it's not Barry, it's not Vicky, it's not me, it's not Ayo. <laughs> I want you to take personal responsibility for your growth or your lack of growth. So today I'm preaching to the people who have been Christians for a while. You've been in church for a while. You're still struggling with the same things, the same sins, the same problems, the same habits. And you're like, I've been reading my Bible for 5, 10, 20, 30 years. Why isn't the Bible working for me? But I'm also speaking to the people who are new in the faith and you've just come to Christ. And I'm saying to you, I've been here just a little bit longer than you. And I want you to learn from my mistakes so you don't have to make the same ones. Because it's wiser to learn from somebody else's experience than your own. So the question I'm going to be answering today is, why isn't the Bible working? I'm reading it. I'm reading the stories. Why is it not working for me? And my answer to that is, it's not, it's not you, it's me. If the word of God isn't having the effect that it should in your life, it's not the word of God. It's not the word of God, it's us. Can we pray? Dear Jesus, we just thank you because there's nothing, there is nothing that is better than you. There's nothing that is sweeter than your word. There's nothing that is truer than your word. And I pray that as I share this today, that you would lift any condemnation, any guilt, and any judgment off of people's hearts, that they will hear what you are saying and they will not hear through their insecurities. Because this is a tough message to deliver, but it's essential for all of us. Amen. So like I said, I'm going to love on you today in a blunt way. <laughs> because we have to grow. We have to grow. We spend all this time here on Sunday morning. There's so much other things we could be doing, like sleeping. <laughs> we have to grow. We have to grow. Comfort is usually the enemy of progress, so I'm, I'm, I'm wanting to make you uncomfortable today so that you can grow. So if the word of God is not working in your life, it's not the word, it's you. It's not the word, it's you. And like I said, I don't want you to feel condemned. I don't want you to feel not good enough. 
I don't want you to feel like there's something wrong with you because that's not what I'm saying. And it's important that as I'm speaking, we don't let our personal insecurities start filtering what I'm saying. So what I want you to hear is a stirring up, is a challenging, because that's what I'm doing today. There's nothing wrong with you as a person. So don't hear that. I'm making this very clear. I'm not condemning you. I'm not judging you. Jesus doesn't, and I'm not. All I'm saying is that we can do more to grow. Yeah? Everybody got that? Let's go to Matthew 13, verse 3 to 9. And if you are feeling a little bit triggered or uncomfortable, then the question I want you to ask yourself is, is the Holy Spirit highlighting something in my life that he wants me to pay attention to? And is that the discomfort I'm feeling? Because that's where the growth is. When the Holy Spirit ministers to us and we feel that, oh, this doesn't feel great. Stay in that moment. Stay in that place because that's what the Holy Spirit wants you to work on. That's the area of growth that he's got for you. So Matthew 13, verse 3 to 9. You guys don't like me today. It's all right. I'll, I'll still share my message. <laughs> Matthew 13, verse 3 to 9. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depths of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns. And the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixtyfold, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. This is a story or a parable of Jesus in the Bible. And he shared this story in front of a large crowd of people. And I just want to pull out a few points from this and then I'll get down. <laughs> it's time for us to be responsible for our own growth. It's great what happens in this room on a Sunday morning. It's great the messages and the preachers that come from this stage, but they should be supplementing your life. If I only fed my children on a Sunday morning, they'd be dead. They would. You have to start taking some personal responsibility for your growth in Jesus. So let's break down this verse. There was a sower, and in this story, the sower is Jesus. And this sower had seed, and he scattered it on various terrains. And this story is just telling us what happened, depending on where the seed fell. The sower had one type of seed. There was one type of seed, and he scattered it, and it landed in many different places. There was one seed, but that one seed produced four different kinds of results depending on where it fell. 
The seed was the same. The environment was the difference in how the seed fell and grew. If the word of God is not having an effect in your life, it is not the word. It's the environment of your heart. It's not the word of God. It's the environment of your heart. So the seed lands in a couple of places, this story says. So number one, it fell on a path. And the birds came down like fish and chips in Blackpool Beach, <laughs> like the seagulls, and they gobbled it all up and it went away. Then you have the rocky ground, and the seed actually sprang up there, but it had no depth, and it withered away and died. Then you've got another environment of your heart, which is thorns. So the seed fell among thorns, and the seed choked up and it died. And then you have the good ground where it grew and it thrived and it blossomed and all that other stuff. Here's the thing. The word of God, like Vicky shared a couple weeks ago, is living and active. Can we all agree on that? It's living and it's active. And it's sharper than Vicky's two-edged sword <laughs> that she tried to so lovely make for us and, uh, and show us. <laughs> It's me. It's not the word. It's me. So let's look at some facts about the word, in case you're still not on the same page as me. God can't lie. He can't lie. The word of God doesn't lie. God can't lie, therefore, the word of God cannot lie. That's the truth. The word of God is not false. It's not made up. Somebody didn't just hide in a cave for a couple of weeks and, and, and come out with this book. Somebody didn't have a psychedelic sort of hallucination and, and the Bible came from out that. No. The word of God is God-breathed. It is God who inspired people as they walked with him and revealed to them his nature. And that's what we read when we read the word of God. The word of God isn't made up. Write this verse down, Hebrews 4.12. This is what Vicky shared a couple weeks ago. The word of God is living and active. It's alive. It has power. It has effect. There's energy inside of it. The Bible says the word of God is like a hammer. That's Jeremiah 23 verse 29. I want you to write down these scriptures because we all come across times in our lives when we start to doubt a little bit and feel a bit insecure. And in those times, you need the word of God to guard up your heart and give you that rooting again. So Jeremiah 23, 29, the word of God is like a hammer, smashing things up, breaking things up, whatever hard places are in your life, guess what? The word of God is like a hammer and it will do the work of destruction. The word of God is good for correction and training and instruction. That's 2 Timothy chapter 3 verse 16 to 17. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 to 17. The word of God is good for correction and training and instruction. A lot of us like the parts of the Bible where it talks about, and you'll be blessed, and you'll be blessed, and you'll have this, and God will give you this, and God will give you that, and you'll have this, and you'll be prosperous, and you have a full life. But the word of God is for correction. It's for teaching 
It's for instruction. The blessings are great, but it's for correction. It's for teaching. It's for instruction. And as you submit to the correction and the teaching and the instruction, then whatever blessings you want will come if that's what God has for you. But its primary purpose is for correction and teaching and instruction so we can stop looking like ourselves and we can look like the glory of Jesus. Amen? The word of God is a lamp unto our feet. That's Psalm 119, verse 105. Psalm 119, verse 105. If you don't know where you're going, the word of God is a lamp unto your feet. The word of the Lord endures forever. The grass withers, everything fades away, but the word of the Lord remains forever. This is Isaiah 40, verse 8. Isaiah 40, verse 8, and Matthew 24, verse 35. This is one of my favorite. The word of God is flawless. <laughs> That's Psalms 18, verse 30, and Psalms 12, verse 6. Psalms 18, verse 30, and Psalms 12, verse 6. And the word of God is true. Psalms 33, verse 4. The word of God is the absolute truth. Whether you believe it or not is irrespective because the word of God is true. It's not relative truth, depending on your situation, depending on how you're feeling. The word of God is absolute truth. And if you're a Christian or you're thinking about God and you're not sure about any of these statements I've just made, that's fine. Come see me after service. We can chat. <laughs> or get on our Next Steps course and they can chat it through you with you because this is the foundation that we build our life upon. It's essential that you start there. The word of God is true. So if it's not having an effect in your life, it's not the word. It's us. The word of God and, and God in general is the only thing that you can use to describe itself. Normally, it's bad practice if you say, what does a chair mean? Well, a chair is a chair. <laughs> Normally, we wouldn't do that. But the word of God, because he is true, he is life, it is the word. We can use the word to describe the word. And that's why I'm saying it's true, it's good for correction, it's good for instruction, instruction. it's flawless because the word of God stands alone. So why isn't this word working for me? If the word of God, if the Bible is all of this thing, it's all of this energy, it's all of this change, it's all of this power, it's flawless, why isn't it working? Matthew 13 describes a sower or a farmer who goes to sow some seed. I want to start by saying this, no competent farmer would sow seed on a ground that wasn't prepared for the seed. If I wanted to plant something in my garden, I'm going to have to dig it up first and get it ready. No good farmer or gardener would sow seed somewhere that wasn't ready to receive the seed. Now, Jesus is definitely a competent farmer. Definitely, he knows what he's doing. 
So number one, he's sowing seed in your heart because your heart is ready for that seed. Let's go to Ezekiel 36, verse 26. It's so important that you know this. Ezekiel 36, verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you, and I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I will remove your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. When you became a Christian and you started walking with Jesus and you became born again, he took your heart of stone and he gave you a heart of flesh that was ready to receive the seed of the word. In fact, it wasn't when you became a Christian, it was before you were born. Let's go to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4 to 5. Ephesians 1, verse 4 to 5. Even before he made the world, before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ. Before he made the world, he loved you and he chose you. I don't know who in here feels not loved and not chosen. Guess what? Before God created the earth, We always like to reference that scripture before I was in my mother's womb. No, before your mom and your mother's mother and your mother's mother and your mother's 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 mother. Before he made the world, he chose you and he loved you. Before he made the world, in fact, he created the world for you because he had you in mind when he created the world because he chose you and he loved you before the point of making the world. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault in his eyes. God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. I love this part. He wanted to do it. He wanted to do it, and it gave him great pleasure to do it. He didn't choose you because he didn't have a choice. You know, like Vicky was sharing the other week about how uh, when she used to play netball. (laughs) Sorry, Vicky. (laughs) She used to play netball, and there was nobody else left to pick, and they were like, oh, come on then. It wasn't like that with Jesus. You weren't the last person left and he had no other choice. No, you were his first choice. He wanted to choose you. So he's given you that heart of flesh. The word is being sown on your heart. The seed is being scattered on your heart because you've had that heart transplant. So why isn't it working? (laughs) Why isn't it working? He's given you a heart of flesh, but has it remained a heart of flesh? He gave it to you, but did it stay that way? If I wanted to plant something in my garden, like I said, and I dug it all up, and I took the the turf off, and I dug it all up, and I got the seeds.
like got the ground all ready and I watered it and put some, I don't know, you can tell I'm not a gardener, <laughs> put some special soil down and I did all this research and I prepared it and I just walked away and I left it for the rest of the summer, what would it look like? It would go hard again. Weeds would grow there again. Things that I didn't want to be there would start to spring up again. So he's given us a heart that's ready, but has it remained ready? Here's the thing. If I left my garden like that, weeds would grow up. And some weeds actually look pretty. They look like pretty flowers. <laughs> and for someone who, like me who's not a gardener, I'd think, oh, I've got some flowers. <laughs> but if a gardener came in, they'd be like, mm, those aren't good flowers. So if we've taken what the Lord has given us and not nurtured it and not looked after it, it might be actually sprouting flowers, but they're not good flowers. Because what the weeds in our heart will do will actually take all the nutrients out from us so that when the word even comes in, there's nothing left for the word to grow and, and thrive off of. So have you just left your heart and not tended to your heart and not put in the work so that your heart is remaining a fertile ground ready to receive the word of God? There are three negative types of soil that was identified in Matthew 13, and I'm just going to focus on them. Number one is the word not working because it's falling on the path. Matthew 13 verse 4 says, And as he sowed, some seeds fell on the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Do you know what I think the path is? Religious practices in our lives. Because if you think about a path, a path is a place that is well-trodden, it's warning, it's just automatic. Like when you go in the countryside, there's a path because everybody, no one's created the path, no one's decided this is going to be the path, but everybody's walked on that bit, so it just becomes a path, and then everybody else falls into line on it. So I liken the path to be the religious things in our lives that we do because we've always done them. I just always come to church on a Sunday morning. Have you turned coming to church on a Sunday morning into a religious activity? Yes, I said it. It's coming to church on a Sunday morning. You do it because that's just what I do. That's just the right thing to do. You've made it a religious activity about this is what I do, instead of coming to church to experience Jesus, to have a relationship with Jesus, to have a relationship with your brothers and sisters in the faith. Is it no wonder that by the time you leave the doors then, the birds come, like in this parable, and they take the seed away because all it's done is fallen on a path of religious activity. There's no soil there. Monday's the hardest day of the week. Do you, think that's, do you not think that the enemy knows that you've been in church on a Sunday and it's just a religious activity to you? So he'll make Monday really intense and the birds will come and whatever was sown and fell on the path will just be gobbled up. If the word of God isn't working on your life, maybe it's falling on the path and you need to turn off the religion and turn on the relationship where you say, I'm coming to church on a Sunday because I am meeting with Jesus because there is nothing that is better than him. 
Is the word not working because it's falling on rocky ground? Matthew 13 verse 5 says, And other seed fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately the seed sprang up, and there wasn't a depth of soil, and when the sun rose, it was scorched, and it had no root, so it withered away. I liken the rocky ground to be what I call crash dieting. We've all done it. We're like, right, I'm going on holiday in two weeks. I need to fit in that bikini or whatever. I'm going to go on. I'm not going to, what was it, the, the liquid diets, the pineapple diet, the cabbage diet, whatever. <laughs> whatever we've done. Instead, in, instead of taking time out of your day to devote to Jesus, to praying, to reading your Bible, to say, I'm making this time out of my day. We crash diet with the word and go, oh crap, I've not read the Bible today. <clears throat> quickly, quickly. Okay, cool, done, boom. I call that the rocky ground because you're not meditating on the word. You're not letting it go down and go deep into your heart and have deep roots. You're quickly doing the minimum you can. Liquid diet, crash dieting, boom, I've read my Bible for five minutes. I can move on. But guess what? The, the word of God then is falling on rocky ground. And it says the rocky ground, it had no depth of soil. So it wasn't going deep enough in the ground. So it sprang up and it withered away quickly. And when we do that, by the end of the day, you don't even remember what you've read in the morning because you're crash dieting on the word. Quick, what's the quickest thing I can do to take the boxes? Could this be why the word of God isn't having an effect on your life? Do you know in the Bible I was looking at, between 50 to 60 times, the Bible tells us to meditate, meditate on the word, meditate on the word. And only about 20 times does it tell us to speak in tongues. And why I've drawn that analogy is because a lot, a lot of us like to spend all the time speaking in tongues, but you're not meditating on the words. What are you speaking in tongues about? Because it's the word that comes out in your prayer. Meditate on the word. Read it. Reflect on it. Apply it to your life. Make some action points. And then come back and revisit it to see how well you're doing. Meditate on it. I like cooking and I like marinating my chicken. And I leave it most of the time overnight in the fridge. And I get my chicken and I put thyme and basil and hot sauce and seasoning. And I give it a good massage and I let it all soak and I put a little bit of oil in it. Some, a little bit of chicken seasoning and I, you know, you just get it in there real good form over it, put it in the fridge at least overnight. And then when I cook it the next day, the flavors are deep inside the chicken. And if you're African like us, sometimes we chew the bone or we suck the bone because, you know, the, the flavor's gone all the way into the bone. Whereas if I just sprinkled some stuff on it and put it in the oven, the skin would taste nice, but the chicken would be bland. Marinate in the word. The third environment that Matthew 13 talks about is the thorny ground. Matthew 13, verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. 
This is actually my favorite one. Because here's the thing, right? Why do plants grow thorns? It's a defense mechanism. It's security for the plants so they won't be eaten. And I believe that through life, through hurt and pain, we build our own defense mechanisms. But here's the thing. If you're shutting people out, you are also shutting God out. If you build up walls in your heart so you won't be hurt again, you're also simultaneously building walls in your heart to stop the word of God from penetrating and getting through. You can't have one without the other. Some of us, no, all of us have been hurt. All of us have experienced pain and trauma. And because of that, we get prickly, don't we? We grow thorns and say, I'm not going to let that happen to me again. Now, I'm not saying you should let people walk all over you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is we put up wrong defenses. And as a result of that, the word of God falls on prickles and it can't get in. If the word is not having an effect on your life, what the thorns are, I liken them to being disobedience and a lack of submission to the word. So the word of God can't come in and take root because we're not being obedient to the word and we're not being submissive to the word. What's the difference? Obedience is saying, I didn't have an opinion. Someone's asked me to do something. I said to my husband, Ayo, can, you please, can I please have my water? Yeah. He was obedient. He brought me my water. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You know what I mean. (laughs) And then at the same time, submission is, if he would have gone, I really can't be bothered. I wanted to just sit here. But because she's asked me to do it, I'll do it. So obedience is when you didn't have an opinion and you've done the thing. Submission is when you did have an opinion, but you put your opinion down and you submit and you take on the other will. And what thorns and pain and trauma in our life can do is it can make us disobedient to the word of God because we're trying to protect ourselves. It can make us live a life that is not in submission to the will of God because we're trying to protect ourselves. I actually think submission is harder than obedience because submission is when you go, I don't want to do that, but you know best. And sometimes the word is not having the effect that it should in our lives because we're not submissive to the word of God. Submission is a heart attitude. It's not just an action. It's a heart that goes, I want something different, But Lord, your word is telling me that you know best and I know you know best and I know that you chose me before the world was born. So I'm going to do your thing. Here's the thing. This is an analogy. If God says to you to go and make peace with someone and you go and do that and you go and speak to the person, you've been obedient. But if on the way home, in the car, or the next day, you're just like, 
can't believe I had to do that. And did you see their face when I was talking to them? They tried to make it look like this, and oh my gosh. Oh, well, anyway, I've done it anyway. I've done what God asked me to do. You've been obedient, but you've not been submissive. God wants a heart. Are you being submissive? Are you being obedient to the word of God? Has your life grown thorns so that it's prickly and the word of God can't even get in? Because if the word isn't working, it's not the word, it's us. It's time we start taking responsibility for our growth. And we look at these areas and go, what am I doing that's counterproductive to the word of God taking root in my life? Because it's working for some people. And here's the other thing. If you're doing all of, thing, all of these things, which for me depends on the day, <laughs> depends how bad of a day I'm having, I'm just being real, how busy of a day I'm having, I'm not always in submission to the word. I'm not always obedient to the word. God tells me over and over again, and I'm like, <sighs> if you are doing all these things consistently, and you're not getting the results as quickly as you think you should have, then maybe, just maybe, it's all about the journey. And God's teaching you perseverance. But it's not the word. Sometimes it's the condition of our heart. We need to take responsibility for our growth or our lack of growth in the faith. I've got this definition of responsibility that came to me when I was preparing this. Responsibility is the correct understanding of the privilege, power, choice, and opportunity applied in a situation. Responsibility is the correct understanding of your privilege. You have that new heart of flesh. You are a privileged individual. You have the same power within you that rose Jesus from the dead. You are free. I always tell Gideon, pray to Jesus and he'll help you make good choices. You have superpowers to make good choices because you have Jesus living in you. I say that to my son all the time. You have superpowers to make good choices because Jesus lives in you. But you've got to take your privilege, you've got to take that power, and you've got to apply it to the situation and go, if I'm not growing, have I applied my privilege of this soft heart? Have I applied the power of the word? Have I tended to my heart to make it fertile ground so that the word can go in deep and it will spring up fruit? Have you understood the power that you have? Have you understood the privilege you have? Have you understood the freedom and the choice you have? And are you living based on that? Because that's responsibility. So from today, I want you to start going. This is the word of God. It is power. It is life. It is freedom. It is flawless. It is true. I have a soft heart that is ready to receive the word. 
I will meditate on it. I will stay in this place. I will stop thinking of church as just the thing I do on a Sunday morning. I will ask the Lord to remove my thorny heart, to break down the walls of pain and trauma, to take the thorns away. I will ask the Holy Spirit to give me a heart that is submissive and obedient so that when I receive the word, it will bear much fruit and the world will see the goodness of the Lord. Because you have the power. It's your responsibility. It is your responsibility. I can't do it for you. Vicky can't do it for you. Barry can't do it for you. Ayo can't do it for you. It is your responsibility to take what the Lord has given you in this beautiful heart of flesh and put in the work to make sure that it remains soft. If the word is not working, it's not the word, it's you.